Hello and welcome to another edition of the Copcast podcast. Uh, we come to you after a drab and dismal, another trip to Old Trafford, Manchester United 1, Liverpool 1. Uh, I'm with me to discuss the outcome of that game and a few of the other issues of the week. Um, I have Neil Patterson out in Berlin, Chief. How are you? Pissed off? Fucked off? All those things, yeah. Yeah, pretty, pretty much. Yeah, pretty much. Um, doing, doing all right in general, but just yeah, another, another disappointing trip to Old Trafford, as you say. No, I really was hoping, and and I really did think that this time it would be different, but it wasn't. So yeah, we'll get into it in a bit. And the long-awaited return of Shengis uh, Gokri, Shengis home in Cyprus. How you doing, buddy? Good to have you back on. Uh, cheers, mate. Yeah, it's been a while. Um, yeah, finally back to reality after um, a long, long uh, trip in Asia, which was absolutely amazing. But um, yeah, it's kind of good to be back home as well. Yeah, new routine, um, same shit with the Man United game. But uh, yeah, good to be back on the pod and talk to you guys. Yeah, you too, mate. You too. All right. So, Chief, we go there. All the talk during the week is... These are shit. Don't they give them shit. anything. They yeah, shit. they are shit. They are shit. But all the talk was they were shit. Don't play the occasion. Don't play the name. Play the, play the 11 on the pitch. Play their, their recent performances, their recent runs, all their deficiencies. And we did the opposite and we started the game. And I thought we looked nervous in the first 10, 15 minutes. Like we, we looked like the occasion and the game itself had gotten to us. Yeah, I mean, I think you're absolutely you're absolutely right in what you said. We we did the opposite. We played the occasion. We played the the derby in inverted commas. We we certainly forgot that we were the dominant force there. We certainly forgot that 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 we were the European champions. And it was you know I said pretty Potter, thoroughly thoroughly disappointed in the performance. And a lot of people have been fairly cautious going into the game, and you know, in hindsight, rightly so. Um, but I'd been a bit more bullish and I really had thought we'd, we'd be able to drive our superiority home and I really hoped that we would. It was a real letdown, to be honest, and let's be honest, I can't really um, can't really be too harsh because, you know, Liverpool have been so good for the last season and a half and, um, you know, watching them is, is a real privilege, but it's a real disappointment just because of, of, the, of the team it was and, and of you know, of the, the standard they are, because let's th- make no bones about it, they are shit. And they didn't they didn't play us. They stood off us. They hid behind a rock and they sprung with a cheap shot, really, after what to me was, was a clear foul and should have been called a foul. There should have been no need for VAR, but Atkinson, complete dereliction of duty, um, not for the first time, not for the last time in the game, um, and you know he creates creates that that storm, that situation by um, you know essentially, as I said, just abdicating his responsibility. But um, you know it, it's a real disappointment because I felt that they dragged us down to their level, and it was very easy for them to do that. And I felt that we didn't actually play our game at all until the last 10 minutes. And I think that's really, you know, I've said disappointing, but it's really, it's a little bit, 
it's a little bit disconcerting because at this stage, to be honest, now in the in the club project, going going to Manchester United shouldn't daunt this 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 side anymore. They're European champions, you know, and they're you know they've seen this United team. They they know what state they're in, you know, uh, at least a little bit. And okay, there's the atmosphere and whatever, you know, that's fine, but. It's just not what you expect, and it's it's not what you like to see. And we only have to play them once a season, and we got out of there with a point, and, and thank God we did. Because if we'd lost the game, it would have been would have been abject misery. But yeah, we move on, and and luckily we keep our you know keep the unbeaten run going because it would have been a, a travesty to to have that come to come to an end as well. There's not much really to be said about the game. There they had no chances except for that one. Uh, we created a couple of chances at the end of the first half and, and probably should have taken one of them. We didn't, unfortunately. Uh, we had the money goal disallowed. Handball, yeah, well, the rule is the rule now. And any kind of contact at all on the striker's hand in the run-up to a goal is the goal is going to be disallowed. So clearly it hit his hand, so that's it. I think we'll probably get into the the referee and stuff uh you know, as as we continue, I don't want to don't want to blow it all, but it was just a very very disappointing performance from from Liverpool. Yeah, go along, our chief. It wasn't great, and I don't think we're going to have any choice but to get into the the refereeing issue uh, while you're on the pod. So before before we dissect the referees' abysmal performance, because that's really all I can think of how to describe it, Dennis. We really did not look ourselves. And I think it was kind of summed up for me by Firmino. And he gets in behind early on and he he slashes at a shot with his left foot. Any other time he gets the ball in that position, he brings it down. He gets his head up. He knows everything that's going on around him. He sees things that nobody else in the stadium sees going on around him. And that's when he can create a little bit of magic. And he just lashes it into the Stratford end. And that was that was kind of a theme throughout the afternoon until probably the last five, ten minutes, where we 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 couldn't we couldn't pass the ball, we couldn't control the ball, we couldn't cross the ball, we couldn't finish the few chances that we had. It's gotta be a psychological thing, right? Going there. I actually do think uh, that is the case. First off, um, absolutely right about Firmino. That was atrocious, and that's so atypical of him. Surprised that he he lashed it um, um, so far out like that. Oliver Solskjaer hasn't really um, got much right since his appointment. Uh, but one thing which he did get right was when he said that um, it was probably the best time to play us because uh, you'd you'd probably want want to play Man United at Old Trafford when they're feeling a bit more confident and uh, a bit more cocky about them, uh, which would probably make them more vulnerable. But they kind of had that factor where they kind of knew they were shit and they, they were already lacking the motivation. So this was kind of um, getting them kind of back, like up a bit a level uh, to try and compete with us a bit more. Um, and, you know, the, the, there have been cases actually this season where we... Uh, we haven't really looked like our best, but we still managed to get the three points um, uh, against Sheffield United, where, where there were there were similar kind of uh, game stats. Um, uh, there were many parallels uh, between the Man United and the Sheffield United game, 
And obviously, um, the goalkeep- goalkeeping error um, led to us getting the three points in that game. Uh, but, you know, when, you, when you're playing against uh, Man United, even though they're absolutely shite uh, this season, um, you know, it's, it's never going to be um, just based on form. You know, it's just uh, kind of like the cliche where uh, the type of game where the form goes out the window. So um, I guess it kind of worked against us uh, this time in that, you know, there's always that uh, bit of psychological factor going in. Uh, to uh, to play the away game at Old Trafford, and um, you know the the volume is always uh, cranked up that bit uh, more um, in this fixture. Uh, and actually, uh, some of the guys in the in the in the United fan channels were saying that the best atmosphere they um, they they remember in the in the more recent years since uh, Sir Alex left uh, was a three nil when we when we uh, spanked them uh, with. Uh, when Gerard scored the two penalties and Suarez scored the third uh, in 13-14, I think it was when they had David Moyes in charge. Um, so you know that that just says um, everything about it. You know they they always bring it up a level when they're playing against us. Um, and you know it was it was just one of those days where um, normally when we're playing against any other side and we're not on top of our game, we still find a way to win. But um, this time it wasn't the case. But nevertheless, you know, uh, it was the ninth game of the season, and um, it's kind of hard to take, you know, when 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 you're putting in such good performances, um, you, and you know, when Man United are doing so bad, you want to get the three points because in the end, you know, it's the it's the fine margins that matter. But in the end, real in reality, a point away at Old Trafford, you know, the the first time in the season when we drop points, it's not really the end of the world, but. It just means that much more, you know, when you when you drop those points at Old Trafford. I mean, especially if you, I mean, just to give an example, when Lalana scored that goal, you know, I, I watched the goal back uh, several times. It was it was a pretty shitty goal, you know. It, it shouldn't. I mean, any decent defense kind of keeps that goal out, but and then we we scored like um, um, a pretty uh, basic or kind of luckyish goal, but it, just watching that goal back, it. It kind of looked like a banger in a way, like the way he celebrated and running towards the fans. And it just felt like he just scored one of the goals of the season. So that just um, uh, talks about um, how, you know, how big this fixture is. But at least, you know, we didn't lose it because kind of analogous to how good that goal felt. If we would have lost that game, it would have been absolutely terrible. Um, So at least, you know, we didn't get to lose and uh, Man United didn't win their um, only possible trophy for the season, you know, beating Liverpool trophy. Um, so that's kind of out of the way. But uh, I think if uh, if the refereeing decisions and, you know, if VAR was uh, being used um, more sensibly, uh, there could have been a different outcome and uh, different numbers of points taken from the game. Yeah, we will, we will come on to the referee, I promise. Um, but Chief, Chengis mentioned, you know, Sheffield United there and Solskjaer, he did two things in my eyes. He approached the game like essentially United were Sheffield United and we were the European champions. And he set up and he changed for us significantly. And to be fair to him, he probably got it right. So that's that's fine. But what I would say is Klopp makes a change to the, the 4-4-2 diamond and we do get more of a foothold in the game and they... Are, are pushed back and driven back. They can't get the grips of the midfield any longer. And we seem to we seem to grow a little bit and, and Solskjaer couldn't adapt to that. 
I think probably key was was Oxley Chamberlain and 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 Kata coming on. And if that's the type of thing that we're going to be seeing going forward, then the more minutes we can get those two on the pitch, the the better it's going to be, and the the more able we're going to be to to break these teams down. Certainly, certainly. I mean, uh, for me, I think it's a a little bit of a shame that maybe the game came a little too early for for Naby Kaida to get more of a to 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 get more of a showing. I you know I think in 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 those sorts of games where teams sit so deep. I mean, just on United changing shape. I mean, they what was it a back seven? They played like five at the five at the back and back eight, five at the back and three across the midfield. They well, weren't, yeah, weren't they? Were they? It was a bit like a 3 4 3 4 thing with the, the two wide forwards. It but like essentially, a, it was three centre halves and then and then Wampasaka and Young, Mark and Trent and, and Robbo basically yeah, man marking them. 3 2, almost like it was bizarre. Yeah, pretty much. Formation. So, anyway, and you're absolutely right. He set up like a mid table side would do against a top side. Are coming coming to town, you know, and and they got their point, and you know it's it's kind of a Roy Hodgson Fulham type performance back in the day, but you're absolutely right; they couldn't adapt to to what we did. But uh, you know there is an argument, there has been an argument, there's still an argument that the Fabinho Henderson uh, Winalda midfield solid and and effective as it is, it can lack creativity against these low block sides in inverted commas. I think that's a thing, though, Chief, isn't it? That if that is, say, Burnley away from home and he has kind of knocked the Chamberlain fit, he probably plays one of them. But he, because, he it's, probably, because it's Man United... He probably does. This is it. I just think if... I think Oxley Chamberlain is, is a case in that you've seen more of him. So, But I think the thing with him is he's not quite back yet and he's forcing it too much and... You know, so he doesn't he doesn't want to start him in such a big game. Now he kind of I think we, we haven't seen that much of him. And maybe he isn't quite. Maybe he he doesn't have ninety minutes in him, or he doesn't have sixty minutes in him. I'm not quite sure, but I I think we should have started him yesterday. I just you know back back to your question about seeing more of them. We will see more of them, and it's about time we we got Nabi Kaida much more integrated into the squad, and and of course Oxley Chamberlain as well. Um, I think we'll have a chance now, certainly over the next couple of weeks with a couple of slightly less difficult Champions League games, on paper at least, and uh, the League Cup game. We should have a chance now to uh, to begin integrating them into, into the first-team squad and, and to rotate a little bit more and to start to see them. I think Naby kind of... I mean, they both bring different things, but I'm really, as you can probably tell, I'm more excited about what Naby Kaida is going to bring because we've seen it when he has had the odd kind of 10-game run in the team. That he really starts to dominate games, uh, and he really gives you something that that very few players can. Just so, something a bit different. Just the, the holding on to the ball, even even that pass before the pass, before the assist. You know, he holds on to that just perfectly and waits it just perfectly so that Robinson could just cross it, and that that's what creates the goal. Yeah, he twice feigns to go outside and then back inside, and and you can see Wan Bissaka getting sucked and sucked and sucked yeah. more central, which provides a space for Robbo. And exactly, and he just slips him it at the perfect angle, the perfect weight. Yeah. He, he literally played Wan Bissaka like a fucking chess piece. Yeah, 
And it's perfect. He was on the pitch seven minutes, and he's he made more passes, I believe, than than the rest of our midfield did. He was on the pitch seven minutes. He, he played, I think, twice the number of successful passes that that, that Henderson played in his sixty-five minutes or whatever he was on. It's, uh, it could well be true that. Yeah, I saw that stat earlier, and uh, you know, he just he just knows what to do. And you know, the caveat is he's coming on against the tyrant defence and all the rest of it, and they're sitting back. We had more of the ball because we'd scored, whatever, but we dominated the game anyway. Possession stats show you that. Um, so, yeah, I, I think we will see more of them, and I think they will um, they will um, make more and more of an impact. And, and, and that's brilliant because we just do lack sometimes that little bit of creativity and that little bit of something different in there. And Oxley Chamberlain, of course, gives you it slightly different with his direct running, his willingness to take players on, and his shooting from outside the box, which... Although I'm not a massive fan of loads of long shots, it's 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 good to have one player that will do it and has actually a bit of pedigree as well. He scored a couple of bangers, so you know it gives us again something slightly different. I think the, for me, chief, no, for me, chief, the, the thing with having someone who is renowned for shooting outside the box, and we had it with Coutinho, where it might not necessarily be the shot itself, but the fact that they're for it. Yeah, and you can you can draw you can almost draw a player out of position to close absolutely the, the potentially up, yeah. foreseen shot, and it oh, it just allows any any little bit of space that you can open up in a scenario where you have a low block team is is a bonus, and that's one way of doing it. Absolutely, and the thing for the thing for Chamberlain will be that the real proof that he's back to his best will be when he starts making the right decisions again. When to shoot and when to when not to when to, when to pop it off um, because you know I think he's, he seems to be there physically you know and and you can see him he's desperate he's desperate to, to bury one like uh, he almost he almost gets it at the weekend he almost gets the winner he just drags it drags it slightly wide um, it's not a bad effort with his, not a bad effort with his left foot it's not if he just if he just taken one more step to the left before cutting back it probably goes in the far corner. Um, but um, yes, it's it's one of them. Just one last thing on it. Yeah, I, I mean, I think it would be nice to see them. It probably was a little early for for them, for you know the reason we mentioned. Plus, we know Klopp is is pretty, uh, you know, pretty conservative, small C, and, and certainly very loyal. Doesn't like to make too many changes, and you know, the midfield has 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 served as well. But I just think that he's he said he should have. For me. He just should have known a bit better that what kind of game we were likely to face, and I think if we'd have had an extra attacker on, as opposed to that three-man midfield, if we'd have played a slightly different system with not having Salah, you know, uh, rather than just trying to shoot shoehorn or Regi in for the first half, uh, it might have it might have it might have gone differently. But you know, as we said, it is what it is. I suppose we may. I suppose we may start it off now, Tango. Martin Atkinson, what a cockhead, eh? I, 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 where do we start? Where, do, we'll probably start. We'll probably start with their goal. Their goal's quite obvious. Obviously, a free kick. He quite obviously kicks Origi. The thing that frustrates me with it is not the fact that VAR looked at it and didn't overturn it because I didn't expect it to because that's been a theme so far this season. But the fact that everything he gave before that foul that was similar to that, was given as a foul. And for some 
strange reason that wasn't a foul. Is that fair enough? Um, I, I think I think you're spot on, mate. Um, but you know, like always, you know, I mean, first of all, the first thing I want to say about Martin Atkinson is that. Even when I look at his face, it just annoys me. I mean, he just even looks annoying appearance-wise. You can tell that he's a he's a he's a cunt. Yeah, he looks like a twat. He refs like a twat. Absolutely, Probably is a twat. He is a Absolutely. twat. Um, but yeah, coming back to the game and uh, the way he 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 it. I mean, with regards to the goal, if Man United don't get that ball, like after the tackle, if they don't win the ball and there's suddenly a counter-attacking situation where they might be scoring a goal and there is no VAR, that's definitely it's definitely going to be blown as a um, as a foul over there. Or you know, if if they if they win the ball back but it goes out of play um, uh, to a throw-in or something, it's definitely given as a foul. But you know, you know, it's just that moment where you know you think that okay, there's. Uh, there's VAR in the background, you know, they're going to check it anyway, so I might as well let the game run. And then, you know, they get the goal and then uh, VAR, you know, it's kind of like a, I'm not going to blame Atkinson directly, actually, because I think it's more to do with um, VAR as well at the same time. So Martin Atkinson's probably thinking, okay, there's obviously some some sort of contact, maybe not too much, but there is there, there is maybe some contact. But there's VAR, so they can have a look at it. I'm just going to let the game run. So he lets the game run. They score the goal. And then VAR goes back and says, okay, maybe there was contact, but the referee saw it. And perhaps he didn't think it was enough contact to stop the game. So they were kind of, you know, it's, it's kind of like a dilemma where the referee is leaving it to VAR. The VAR is leaving it to the referee. Yeah, and The referee's two yards away from that, and it's a blatant foul. You know, he's, he yeah, I, th- I think I think the way Origi goes down, you know, some people were saying that, you know, he he was holding um, uh, the the wrong foot as he was going down, and maybe he looked like he was making a big deal out of it, but it was actually a foul. And especially if you go back and watch the game uh, with VAR, and you know, the whole point is if if there's a player running at you and you get kicked um, on the backside of your knee, always going to be a foul. You know, if 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 that wasn't a goal, if they hadn't scored a goal. Um, that would have been a foul. It's it's simple as that. But you know, it's uh, I think I think it's I think it's also a VAR issue. You know, if if there if there wasn't VAR, maybe he would have possibly called that as a foul. Is is what I'm is my yeah. opinion on it anyway. But you know, it's it's kind of like you know, if 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 all these you know, if the small margins matter, you know, and um, if 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 it touches Mane's hands very slightly, okay, you know, they changed the rules recently that. Any kind of contact um, by the striker inside the box, which might happen during a goal-scoring opportunity or during a goal, is uh, considered handball. You know, if it's if it touches his hand very, very slightly, then even that small contact, which you know obviously is enough for the player to go down, it was definitely not a dive. Um, then why is that not a foul? I mean, I just I just don't understand the logic behind it. You know, how can it be a little bit of contact is fine, even if it's not a, you know, you don't need to break the leg of a guy for for it to be able no, to. Right, even an attempted kick is is deemed for a free kick in in the rule of the game. Uh, so a, a, when a player kicks or attempts to kick another player, and, right? Yeah. So if it's, it's you know, if if this kind of small contact is not going to be considered a foul, uh, then how can you make make such a small unintentional touch of the ball with the hand? 
penalty and um, rule, rule it out uh, for for the goal. You know, it's it just doesn't add up. So that's that's the most annoying part. Um, and you know, we we all be, we talked pre-pod about um, you know the general performance of of the referee where he didn't um, uh, you know um, give a foul for I don't know how many minutes more than 50, 60 minutes. Uh, during uh, which period at uh, this period they you know um, committed most of their uh, tackles and and whatnot but it was always going to be a physical game and you know we also had our moments where you know Fabinho kind of shattered Daniel James a few times and um, uh, you know it was always going to be physical so I, I don't really have any problems on that front but it's just just the inconsistency really wasn't it I mean it's like that we had the 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 14 fouls given against Liverpool compared to six fouls given against Manchester United, given that we had, I think, 80% possession second half and, and 65%, something like that overall. Those numbers don't stack up. I'm no mathematician, but I don't think I have to be. Um, also, you mentioned there that we we didn't get a free kick for 50 minutes. 55-0 between minute 22 and minute 72. Manchester United. It's actually more. It's actually more than that if you consider the the injury time. It's like fifty three minutes or something. Which is go, fucking even bizarre. Fifty three minutes. United. Manchester United did not commit a foul. Does that seem likely to you in any game that any <laughs> no. any side doesn't commit a foul for fifty three minutes? You mentioned the Origi thing and and VAR VAR. Like you said, we're not really going to complain about them not overruling it because. You wouldn't back them to because they're making an absolute hash of what they're doing with it anyway. But for Atkinson not to give that is is ridiculous, given what he has blown up for Liverpool players doing in 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 the preceding fifteen minutes or whatever it is of the game before that goal is scored. And I think that's what you were getting at, Dave. I mean, that was a foul in that in the context of that game. That was a foul, and maybe even a yellow card. Yeah, absolutely, and it's um it's backed up it's backed up by the the, the two or three minutes where Fabinho fouls I don't know who it was I can't remember now and is given a yellow card and it probably was a yellow card which is fair enough but then we have Rojo doing something fairly similar in a in a, in a fairly cynical manner as well very cynical because he's away whoever that whoever yeah he's, he's turned up. He's turned him and no foul. And then he kicks the ball at somebody. Or sorry, a new yellow card. And then he kicks the ball at somebody, new yellow card. And then Ashley Young slides somebody down and new yellow card. And that contrasting view of those four issues, one yellow card, 100% of Liverpool tackles yellow card and zero of the United, the United, um, United files, and it it's it seemed to me almost blatant. It, it seemed to me to have gotten to the stage where the the players, our players, were fully fully aware of it, where they just knew they were not going to get anything. But the, you know, Fabinho's face whenever um, Rojo doesn't get booked is a picture. He's just like what. He's just like shit. Yeah, they're almost resigned to it by that point, I guess. Yeah, and I think it has it has an effect because not, it's not only the fouls that they're given and the yellow cards and whatever. It's that 
any time we won the ball back with any kind of hint of physical contact, he blew the whistle. When Daniel James gets fucking hit in the stomach and is winded, and then the little shit fakes being knocked out, by the way, but, you know, on a different occasion, when he's clearly winded and he's clearly only been hit in the stomach, the referee stops the game. Where there's clear protocol to say the referee should not stop the game. Literally should not stop the game in that situation. He does it. And and in the end, on another occasion with that little cheat James as well, Matip ends up putting the ball out because the, the, the wee guy stays down for about 10 minutes and the referee does nothing to, to do anything about it. Doesn't tell him to get off the pitch. Doesn't doesn't do anything. And United don't kick it out in the end. We do. I mean that that was that was foolish on Maddox's part. But nobody knew what to, what to do. What was going on there? Um, so yeah, the referee had no no real control of the game because it was quite clear that you know call him a homer. I think is is a little bit disingenuous. I don't think he was just for the home team. He was for Man United. Well, the stats would suggest, actually, Chief, that he was more so against Liverpool than for Man United. Yes. Um, Stephen Drennan's Stephen Drennan has posted a tweet there just after the game that um, Liverpool have dropped dropped points in nine of their last forty-seven matches, and Atkinson has refed us nine times in those forty matches, and four of those games we've dropped points. So. We draw a point in we draw points in one in five. Sorry, probably one in six with Atkinson not refereeing, and we drop points almost one, one two. in two when he is refereeing. Yeah, and uh, I mean you can you can go back and watch the games. Martin Atkinson is a real favourite of mine. I pick him out regularly because he he does us damage. Like he, he the the threshold for. Files against us, really, really low. The threshold for us getting free kicks, really, really high. Same with cards, same with penalties, same with, with anything. And, you know, that that is an anomalous statistic there. And, and as you rightly say, with all the other referees in the Premier League, we have a one in six defeat ratio with Atkinson or, or points dropping ratio with Atkinson is one in two. You know... Things, things. Sometimes things happen, and and I don't know how how they do happen with with certain teams and and certain referees. And it seems at the moment Atkinson really has a bee in his bonnet about us. And I think it's about time Klopp maybe had a little word because I know you can ask to to avoid certain referees. I know that's been done before, and it might be time. I'm sure Ferguson did that. I've absolutely no doubt that Ferguson would have, would have been straight on the phone to the FA. Was um, the, there was one one that he had basically banned from refereeing. Yeah. yeah. It almost makes you crave for the days of hard web. It was that bad. Um, it, it really it, it really did get to the point where I was watching it in the bar, but got to the point where when Liverpool got a free kick on, I think in the 72nd minute, a huge ironic cheer went up. It was huge in the bar and everything, not just even in the ground. Like it was like we're we're sitting there and like, no, that's what I mean. In the bar, yeah, in the bar yeah. where I was in. It's just disbelief. It's gotten past rage to the point where you're, you know, where you're literally feeling like really kind of this is feeling so like Fabio. You're feeling brutalized, you know, by that point, traumatized almost because you're just like they are getting everything and we're getting absolutely nothing, but. 
But hey-ho, that's how it was. And in the end, we still managed to get the point. Uh, Klopp said it afterwards. Everything was against us in that game. Everything that, that uh, you know, could have gone wrong did go wrong, including the fact that we played pretty fucking terribly. But in the end, they still couldn't beat us and we came out with a point and we're still unbeaten. So. Yeah, and that's fair. And, and the scheme of it all, Cengiz, is that it's hardly been mentioned that Salah wasn't available in anywhere. I know we haven't mentioned it at all, but anywhere it's hardly been mentioned that Salah wasn't available because of the... And it's fair to say that there's loads and loads of talking points, but there's a fair amount of controversy around the game as well with the decisions, with the the apparent referee and ineptitude Chiefs around what he says. Um, we, we There were a point where it looked for all the world that we weren't. And somehow we managed to get an equaliser and it's Adam Lallana and... It's a substitute that very, very few people, very, very few supporters, Liverpool supporters, um, watching would have wanted to see. But again, it just harks back to the resilience of this team and the fact that we just refuse to be beaten no matter how bad that we're playing. Absolutely, mate. I mean, um, I guess it was kind of, you know, going back to um, the back end of last season when, um, you know, we're missing... Um, all our best players, including Salah for the Barcelona game um, and Robertson coming off. And we still managed to pull off the miracle of 4-0 to go into the final. Um, I guess that was kind of the moment truly when, you know, you, you could see that this team is more than just certain players um, or names on the team sheet. And it's, um, you know, the, the, there's a very uh, unique ethos and uh, such a strong leadership uh, throughout the whole squad, not just in the uh, preferred first 11 and you know it, it, you're right that you know no one even mentions about the, fa- uh, the fact that Salah is missing you know obviously Origi has had uh, such an impact since um, uh, since the second half of last season and you know you, you'd fancy him to uh, come on and uh, you know have an impact he already did you know um, since the start of the season uh, whenever he scored a few goals and whenever he came on later on during the games uh, it just so happened that we uh, managed to get that winner uh, after he came on, whether he directly or indirectly was involved um, uh, in the gameplay. Uh, but, you know, we're missing Salah and perhaps uh, we should be talking about him because, you know, we only had very, very few runs um, um, through through their uh, behind their defense. You know, obviously Mane with the disallowed goal um, and whatnot, but... I think if Salah was there, it would have been a totally different game. Yeah, his record against Man United uh, is, isn't great. I think it's one of the few teams that he hasn't um, scored against um, in the Premier League. Um, but I think this was kind of uh, the perfect situation for him, uh, where he he probably would have found um, a bit of space or you know made a few intelligent runs uh, and received the ball and um, caused some trouble. But you know, it just speaks volumes about the team where, you know, you can even rely on or, you know, the, the least unexpected uh, players such as Adam Lalana to come on um, and, you know, get the equalizer. And we still managed to salvage, salvage a point from that. You know, <laughs> when he came on, you know, we were watching the game with a few friends um, and I was I had my phone on flight mode when I was watching the game because I didn't want any any spoilers in any case, uh, you know, if there was any and he lagged during the game, but as soon as Adam Lallana was coming on, you know, I, I was I was sitting with it, watching with a friend um, in the pub, and I was like, 
All right, now just uh, watch the comments coming on my on my WhatsApp chats now that Lana is on. Uh, it, it was quite funny, to be fair, but, you know, it's the guy scored the goal, uh, which uh, in the end salvaged the point for us. So in the end, we don't really uh, feel like we're missing any particular name on the team sheet anymore, which is kudos to Klopp and uh, the team that he built and the, uh, the, the spirit in the team. Uh, where they absolutely back each other and somehow managed to uh, find a way in the most difficult of circumstances. So, yeah, I mean, big up to the to the team spirit that's instilled right now. But um, I'm I'm pretty sure that if, if Salah was there, maybe uh, we would have been talking about perhaps a different result. Um, but nevertheless, it's um, it's it's great to see that we we're not reliant on you know any single player anymore. Over the years, you know, going through. From Steven Gerrard to Fernando Torres to Luis Suarez and and Philip Coutinho. Now we're finally, you know, we have several players. You know, I think it's seven players awarded for um, in the shortlist for the um, uh, for the Ballon d'Or now. And you know, we can miss one, two, or even three of them, uh, and we're still um, almost uh, impossible to beat, and still manage to find a way. So it just speaks volumes of where we've come to uh, from what stage we were and what stage we are at now. And uh, it seems like we're still, you know, um, we still have a gear that we can switch up to. And I, I actually expect, you know, the performances to uh, just start getting better from now on, considering um, defensively we haven't actually been at our best. We haven't kept that many clean sheets uh, this season. Um so, I mean, it's it can only get better. And if we're missing players like Salah or um, even Mati uh, in a few games, I think he's not going to be involved um, against Genk tomorrow. You know, we're still managing to uh, do well without our crucial players. So, you know, it's it's only a good thing. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and Chief, there's, this is another bizarre parallel to uh, Manchester United and... and and the role reversal here where like when we're when we were shit and they were great, that is them rocking up at Anfield, us somehow getting our noses in front, but knowing that we're nowhere near as good, and then them scoring a spawny fucking last minute goal that's kind of our fault and at the back post popping up, it's somebody like fucking John O'Shea. <laughs> Yeah. That's what happened. That's what happened. Yeah. Um, this is what would happen fucking regularly enough. No, you're absolutely right. And what has said there is absolutely spot on as well about Lallana. The fact that everybody moaned. Everybody moaned. I'm sure there wasn't even the most ardent. I, I thought it was funny, to be honest. Yeah, I, thought exactly, it was fun. I thought it was funny thinking about how many people would be wound up by it. Exactly. Exactly. Because no, literally no one, literally no Liverpool fan went. Yes, Adam Lallana's coming on. He'll get the winner, or he'll he'll uh, he'll he'll get the equaliser, or he'll he, you know he's he's just what we need. Nobody, but it's what we were talking about the other day about on the on the last part about um, letting players go and all the rest of it. Adam Lallana is very much part of the story. He's been part of the story. He's played a part in the story. He's played another part there, you know. And and that's what you need if you're going to win things. You need all members of your squad contributing. You know, in in some way or another, and 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 he did fair play to him. 
Yeah, I mean, it is, it is exactly that role reversal. And they've, they've now had their highlight of the season. And, you know, in the end, they didn't get what they wanted either because they couldn't hang on for the win. It is what it is. We used to go to Old Trafford and defend for 93 minutes and Danny Murphy would score score the winner in the 91st with a free kick. And, you know, we'd be we'd be made up because we'd be nowhere near them in the league standings. And we'd know we wouldn't we wouldn't get anywhere near them. And that would be our, our cup final. So they'll have one more this season when they come to Anfield. But uh, I would expect them to, to get battered when they come to Anfield. We just need to move on and carry on like they did for all those years. We, we've got bigger fish to fry. Time to go and fry them. Yeah, some friend to be done. Some friend to be done. The next going into the Japan is Genk Tengis. Um It's fair to say they're not very good. Um, they get absolutely hammered by Salzburg, like properly hammered by them. And although they did draw nil-nil with Napoli, I watched part of that game and Napoli did everything to put the ball up in the back of the net. They hit the bar, they hit the post, they one clears off the line, they missed sitters, the keeper had the game of his life. And we should be able to go there with, with, you know, not a not a full squad. We'll, we're not going with a full squad anyway, but we should be able to go there and potentially a bit of rotation uh, and and come away with the three points and put ourselves in a, a relatively decent position in the group with them to come to Anfield in the next round of fixtures. I think, isn't it? All, all signs point towards that, especially with Salah um, coming back in the squad, and uh, you'd fancy him to kind of. Get back into a bit of a uh, good form, you know, going into uh, approaching the hectic period. Um, but you know, you never know with the Champions League. Uh, you know, it's it's always up for surprises. And you know, uh, I, I even though I don't I don't expect in any way that we would um, lose that game. Um, it's 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 important that we don't we we stay um, we we prepare well, and you know, we don't get too ahead of ourselves. Uh, n- not be too complacent because you really do never know uh, what could happen. But you know, it's it's not it's not a it's not a terrible journey. It's not too far. It's quite close. Um, we've had a few days rest after the Man United game. Um, we're probably going to do a bit of a rotation, and um, as as we touched upon earlier, I, I expect to see um, a bit more of Keita and um, Oxley Chamberlain. At, at least one of the two. Uh, supplemented uh, with Milner and perhaps Fabinho in midfield, and uh, you know it's it's going to be it's going to be good in the sense that you know at least we get some of our um, less frequently used up to now squad players, you know, some more rhythm and game time, and um, I think it's it should be good motivation for players like Oxlade Chamberlain and Keita who came on and had a um, had a positive impact during the um, the Man United game to kind of. You know, step up and show Klopp that you know, hey, you should be playing us a bit more often, or you should be rotating your squad a bit more in the Premier League as well. You know, it's it's kind of a, a platform for them to uh, kind of show their worth and you know uh, the quality that they have. And uh, we shouldn't be relying on players like Firmino or Mane or Salah to constantly work their magic. I mean, I actually thought that Mane and especially Firmino, he he did actually look. Uh, a bit tired and you know fair play to him he, you know he had a pretty crazy summer and he's been playing every single game for us now he barely had any rest at all so um i think uh, we we really we really do need our midfield to step up and take the burden off uh, our front three a little bit and this could be the perfect game for that kind of situation it's something Chengis mentions there chief that it's kind of been lost in, in, in the whole 
fucking circus around the fixture and the result is that this is a bit of a recurrent theme with us that we're not ever quite ourselves after an international break. We never have been. It's it's one of those weird things that we haven't seemed to have worked out yet. And maybe there's just no way of replicating what gets us to the the, the point of the rhythm that Klopp likes to call it. And and maybe it's because the the team is built a lot on relationships and and if you're not training with each other every day and you're not and, and you're you're away from each other for two weeks, maybe that breaks down ever so slightly to the point where it affects performance in the pitch. Maybe it's I don't know, is it just because of the different training, the different I don't know, just Bobby go away and because he's with the Brazil thinks, Do you know what? I can fucking have a couple of pints here and get away with it. And maybe head to a party there, you know, after training and see what's going on down in the local nightclub. I don't know. Well, I don't know. I mean, I think you're absolutely right in that we do seem to uh, struggle after international breaks. Um, we kind of had all the benefits this time, you know, being on the Sunday and, and all the rest of it. Um, but, yeah, there might be something in that. Just, just the, the fact that they're not training together for the fortnight, but also that they're training with other people and they're doing slightly different jobs and they're doing completely different training regimes and different exercises and whatever. And the combination just, you know, slightly upsets our rhythm because you could see it very early on. Our passing was off. It wasn't mild off, but it was just slightly off right from the start. And it kind of got progressively worse. In fact, when the passing was on, the touch was off. So when it was, you know, what makes Liverpool so good is that the way... The players can zip the ball to each other, bam, bam, bam. Really crisp passing in the feet, one touch, lay it off, move it. That wasn't, just wasn't happening uh, at the weekend. Uh, whether it was, the, as I said, it, it was either the pass or the touch that was off on, on pretty much every occasion. So, I mean, there could be something in that. Club talks a lot about rhythm. And, you know, you can see from some of the runs that we, we go on, you know, 18 wins in a row or 17 wins in a row, sorry, that momentum is a big thing and once we can get on a run then then it's very difficult to knock us off but I think the start of seasons are, are, are difficult for us for that very reason that there are so many international breaks now at the beginning of the season it's very very difficult to establish a rhythm and I don't think it's a I don't think it's a coincidence that our best form tends to come when we're playing three games a week four games in ten days that kind of thing um, that's when they were putting at their best. That's when they put result after result after result together. And so when we have extended breaks or, or little kind of interruptions in the season, even last se- season when we took that week to go on our warm weather break and all that, we came back, we were not not the best straight after. It took us a few games to get back on the road again. And It's funny, Chief, isn't it? Because you we, we bang on about rotation and rest and too many games and what about if somebody gets injured and why didn't we sign somebody but it maybe this is maybe pointing to the fact that that's exactly the reason why we do play better when we've when we've three four game we're playing you know four games in 10 days or something mad like that and we're not rotating massively because it brings that that relationship on the pitch just to an absolute peak level absolutely because it's it's you. You don't have to train it then. You've done all the training. You've done the training in preseason. You've warmed up into the season with all these, you know, four or five game spurts. Then another international break. Four or five games. Then another international break, and then you get into the 
the real meat of it when you hit sort of end of November and it runs all the way through to January and you've got how many games? I don't know, including cup games, you've probably got about 16 um, over that period. And, you know, you don't have to train then. You've done your training and your training is playing. You're recovering and you're playing. You know, maybe a light session then you're playing again. And it's you, you. that's where the telepathy comes, you know? where you know where, where the next guy's going to be and the guy after without having to look, where you can play blind passes or one touches or back heels or one twos, all that kind of stuff because everyone's in tune. And, yeah, I mean, I think that that there is something, you know, to that, to the fact that we do seem to suffer when our um, regular training and playing rhythm is, is broken. Because it's not like, it's not a European thing either. It's not like you can say, oh, it's when, when we've, you know, had a game in the week or we've had to fly. Because actually our, our record off the back of European fixtures is great. It's only off international fixtures where we, we tend to suffer. So Yeah, yeah. Um, and I think there's there's another international break in three weeks, I think. It's after the City game, isn't it? Yeah, it's three weeks. It's the, it's the, the 16th, weekend of the 16th. So yeah. after that, there won't be one then until into January or something. Yeah. So this congested Christmas periods. This is where, and this is where we kicked on last year, Tengus. You know, this is where we, this is where we kicked on, and this is where we really started to look a bit more like ourselves because this is where we went seven points. Seven exactly. Points. Yeah, yeah, you know, and and there was. Do you remember the chat at the start of last season? I understand it was it was four two three one that we were playing, but we were we were winning loads of games one nil, and we were winning loads of games by the odd goal, not by you know weren't going to win three four five nils, um, and then it was kind of moving into November that we really did step it up. I guess you know Klopp really learned from um, all his. Uh, experiences from you know when, when he first came in um, uh, after Brendan Rodgers got sacked you know he after changing the the whole training uh, regimen like a, a lot of players started getting injured and then you know we struggled with injuries uh, during that season and uh, maybe the next season as well but then you know he brought in some different stuff and I think they've really really perfected the whole uh, training uh, regime and you know all the nutritions and everything everyone has their own plan uh, the way they trained, uh, everything they eat. And it, it just seems like we really know how to get um, the best um, of our players um, um, in, in, in tight schedules right now. And I think we do have a competitive advantage uh, over other teams um, in the way um, that we have our, our players training and uh, the way they're eating, all their uh, taking their nutritions and whatnot. So, uh, you're spot on. Um, once you know we hit the hectic period um, in the festive period last year, uh, we were banging in those goals, and um, uh, all the other teams, you know, they were getting all these injuries, and we were we we're just banging goal after goal and winning all our games. I think we won all our games, all eight games in December, was it uh, last year? Um, so it's, yeah, that's absolutely right. I forgot about that. So I think it, it's going to be. It's going to be. I, I hope that it would be something similar because you know, if if we if we manage to hit anything uh, similar, any kind of similar form to uh, last season, you know, we we started off the season much better this year, and if we can maintain the similar fitness levels um, <clears throat> and perform to the same way, um, it's going to get very interesting. Obviously, we have the um, we have less league fixtures um, uh, this. Um, 
December due to the Club World Cup. I think they postponed um, at least two fixtures, if I'm not mistaken. Definitely West Ham is one. Because we're, we're, we're bound to be playing at least two games, I suppose. If we, if we win the first game, then we're going to play uh, um, the second game. Yeah, we're going to... I mean, it doesn't, it doesn't matter. And then we're going to be playing more fixtures over the course of the season. But um, maybe, you know, it's going to take the burden off um, uh, the, the, hectic, um, the hectic period. But we, we might have a situation where we're going... Um, we're going into January, uh, maybe a few games um, behind the other um, uh, the other teams. So we, we're we're probably going to have a few games in hand um, to City. Um, but if we if we maintain that gap, so if we have a good run of form uh, from November end of November until you know um, end of January uh, end of December, uh, I think that's going to be fantastic. I mean, imagine having um, a six point or five or six point gap with a few games in hand come mid-January that would be amazing but um, yeah just going back to the original point I think it's um, we really do have the competitive advantage now of um, really knowing how um, how far we can push our players um, how, how we can get them to train uh, in a congested fixture list and um, I totally expect it to be the same way because you know the core of our squad has been uh, pretty much the same you know we have uh, we've had Fabinho come in since um, since last season, but he doesn't really do that much running compared to, say, Henderson or um, uh, Sadio Mane or uh, the fullbacks. So um, we do still have that core um, um, a player, a, a team of players who know their games and, you know, they don't expend um, unnecessary energy during games uh, and they know their bodies very well and uh, the, the, the whole uh, patterns of training and whatnot. So hopefully, fingers crossed, if we don't come across any awkward or reckless challenges like uh, the Chaudhary challenge in the Leicester game, uh, which um, on, on Mo Salah, hopefully our players can manage to, you know, uh, withhold all the um, intensive uh, training uh, schedules and, you know, keep up their fitness levels in the hectic period. We weren't good. Uh, the referee was worse. We scraped a one-eight draw at Old Trafford, which everybody thinks is a terrible result after absolutely dominating them. And you sometimes have to put those things into context, but certainly they're they're not very good. But if nothing else, with with these club teams, you see patterns emerging over over seasons, and and you know that hopefully what we've just discussed there is is one pattern that we we see repeated this season. Before we go, lads, who's going to win the Ballon d'Or? Virgil van Dijk, Virgil van Dijk. Yeah, it's got to be, doesn't it? Really. It has I'm gonna, be, I'm gonna be a bit cheeky and go for Sadio Mane. Actually, you know, I he's he's obviously the um, not the favorite at the moment. You know, with Virg having um, such an amazing season uh, last season, especially. But I think if if it if it kind of lurks on to you know the start of this season and up to uh, up to the winter time, and you know, if if that gets factored in, you'd probably think that Sadio Mane has maybe even been slightly more consistent than Van Dijk, considering that you know, even I think possibly, I think possibly this calendar year, you you've I've, you've a fair argument there, mate. Yeah, I mean, I if even Lionel Messi is saying that you know Sadio Mane is currently the best player in the world, I think that speaks volumes uh, for itself and. You know, with the emergence of Joel Matip, 
um, you know, us Liverpool fans, maybe not the rest of the world and, you know, all the media are absolutely loving Van Dijk always. But um, I think Joel Matip has shown that, you know, he can be, if not better, as good as Van Dijk um, in that defense. And he's played a, a really big part in, uh, you know, our recent performances, um, especially this season and, you know, the back end of last season. But Sadio Mane has just been, you know, week in, week out since the start of last season, absolutely bang on it. And, you know, I, I think he has a good chance. I think he has a really good chance to, you know, if not Van Dijk, then it's Sadio Mane for sure. Yeah, it'd be nice to get a Liverpool 1-2-3, wouldn't it? <laughs> <laughs> would be nice to have all the places on the rostrum. I mean, Mane's been excellent. He, he still is. I just I just think it probably will be Van Dijk, just just. Just because, just because he's the the biggest, probably the biggest superstar in the game at the moment, or or the rising one anyway. His star is is really ascendant at the moment, and you know he's won the Champions League with Liverpool. He's won the best defender in Europe UEFA award or in the Champions League UEFA award. He's, I mean, the one, he won the PFA Player of the Year as well. Player of the Year. He's captaining Holland or yeah. sorry the Netherlands mm-hmm. to to the next uh, European Championships. Uh, he's doing really well at international level. Uh, as well, which also comes into it. I just think he's he's probably going to do it. But don't get me wrong, if any Liverpool player wins it, I'll be absolutely made up for them. And, and wouldn't it be nice to get a couple of them in the, in the final three? Yeah, I mean, the one thing that does work in favour of uh, Van Dijk is that there probably isn't um, a superstar in terms of a defender right now in the world. You know, the, Sergio Ramos really isn't uh, the Ramos of old. Or, you know, Chiellini is kind of getting old. He has problems with... Uh, injuries and whatnot. So Van Dijk really is the kind of uh, superstar defender, you know, on the on the, uh, the, the 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 cover pictures of FIFA and whatnot and all this kind of stuff. So and it's kind of refreshing, you know, considering um, who was the last defender to um, to have won the Ballon d'Or? Was it, um, it was Cannavaro after he won Cannavaro, the World right? Cup? And yeah. that was thirteen years ago. So it's been a while, you know. So- there, yeah, it has been a while. And I think this thing, as much as anything else, it's a bit of a popularity contest, isn't it? And yeah. Van Dyke is seems to be a very likable and, and very well-respected character. And he carries himself with such confidence, you know, um, but not arrogance. And I think that appeals to a lot of people and, and that almost people almost respect him, you know, as soon as he walks into a room and, He's probably got that kind of personality that when he walks into a room, he just fills it, you know. So I I think that probably that sort of thing plays into this this type of award as well. But look, he's he's the bookies' favourite. He's two to five. The bookies, they don't get much wrong, except for Sunday. So, um, yeah, um, we'll leave it there. We'll, We'll hopefully come to you after Genk, where the Reds can... Take another step into the the knockout stages and um, and go and win the European Cup again. So up the even get a draw at Old Trafford when the shit reds. 